When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Things are getting much, much more efficient. You can do things in a quicker fashion than ever before, but it seems we have less time, not more. So what's what's going on with this equation? The reality is we could all be living on this planet with enough to have a reasonable life and actually have some time you're listening to Stefan Reichschafen on Psychologist Off the Clock. We are four clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. From coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoengrun, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. And from sunny San Diego, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty and the Big Book of Act Metaphors. We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. The co-hosts of Psychologists Off the Clock are hosting our first annual Psychologists Off the Clock Wise Mind Summit, How to Adapt and Thrive in Today's Challenging Times. We have an amazing lineup of speakers. We have Dr. Rick Hansen coming to talk about growing the good in your brain. Dr. Rafael Paleo is coming back to answer our questions about how to sleep. We have Julie Lithgott-Hames, who wrote How to Be an Adult, who's coming to talk to us about empowering our kids in challenging times. And A.J. Harbinger from the Art of Charm podcast, who's going to talk to us about conversations that connect, and many, many more, including presentations from all four of the POTC co-hosts. Our summit takes place on Friday, January 29th and Saturday, January 30th. The first 300 registrants will be able to register for free and will continue to release free tickets as we get donations and additional sponsors. And after that, tickets will only be $8 just to cover administrative fees. So we hope you will join us. We're really excited. You can check it out on our website at offtheclockpsych.com. Psychologist Off the Clock is sponsored by online training and continuing education from Praxis Continuing Education. They offer multiple formats of high quality training, including live online courses, free webinars, and on-demand courses. Praxis gets some of the best names in the field, people who do really amazing trainings, and you can do them so easily from home right now. I know I've really enjoyed some of the trainings that I've done in the past, and there's some great ones on the lineup coming up. Yeah, just looking at the lineup, well, you can always do act immersion with Steve Hayes. That's fantastic. If you want to take a deep dive into acceptance and commitment therapy. But I was also really excited to see Jonathan Cantor, Robin Gobin, and Daniel Rosen are doing a course from Ally to Anti-Racist, which is a six-week course using a contextual behavioral model of racism to cultivate personal and professional anti-racist action. I was also excited to see Dennis Church and Norbert Silverstein doing a Foundations of Compassion Focused Therapy course for those that want to learn more about CFT. Yeah, you'll see some of our old podcast guests that we've had on the show doing praxis training. So check it out. And you'll want to go through our website, offtheclockpsych.com to register because you can get a $25 off discount code for live training events. So make it a new intention in 2021. Check out Praxis CET. This is Diana here, and it's the week before the new year, the much-anticipated 2021. And for many of us who are able to take a break, this can be a real time of slowing down. And Debbie and I wanted to do an episode to talk about how to slow down with more intention and reflect a bit. And this is in combination with an interview that I did with Stefan Reichschafen, who uh, is sort of the master of slowing down. He slowed down so much, he moved to Costa Rica. Debbie... I wanted to just start with maybe our annual tradition of reflection. We've done it a few years as friends. 
Yeah, but our listeners may not know that Diana has this wonderful tradition of sending out some reflection question around the new year each year, which is something that she's going to share with you this time because they're really nice to start the new year and to reflect back on the old year. So we just picked a few. I have 20 this year for 2020. And if you want the full batch, you can get them through my Instagram account at Dr. Diana Hill. So let's start with a real acty one, which is Debbie, what values did you pursue most in 2020? Well, I think there are really two areas. One, I think being a psychologist, being someone in mental health, my work felt really important right now, but it's because there's so much suffering in the world. And I think it's such a time for us to take care of one another. And I've just worked with people who have been through so much, um, healthcare providers and parents and people who are just don't have as much social connection. So I think my work and then also just that family time, you know, we've joked on the podcast before that it's not, like, it's a lot of family togetherness. If you're, you know, in the house with your, your family, uh, most of the time as I am. And so I think the silver lining, I'm not sugarcoating the pandemic, believe me, but I think just having that time together actually was really nice in terms of my values of quality time with my family. Yeah. I think that your values really also showed up in some of the episodes that you chose this year. And I'm thinking about the two healthcare episodes and how much you cared about doing those in a way that were supportive for our healthcare workers. And uh, sometimes you can take a peek at what we're doing on this podcast as a window into what each of our, each of these co-hosts really care about. That's right. We pick the episodes we want to do because we care about them. Absolutely. Okay. Here's a question for you, Diana. What three books inspired you most in 2020? Hands down, number one is Ibram X. Kendi's uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist, which I appreciate that he starts with the definition, what is an anti-racist? Because I feel like in a lot of ways, I was at that basic level of needing really um, some guidance this summer and the summer of listening to him, actually not reading it, listening to him read it to me uh, will be just a lot of my memory of what summer 2020 was all about. And very grateful to that incredibly wise scholar. Number two is one that saved my behind this year, which is Julie Bogart's uh, home school, about, book about schooling, The Brave Learner. And she just really has this uh, relatable, non-stressful approach to how to do this thing of educating your kids from home. And that was really helpful. And then number three is Neurodharma by Rick Hansen. And that was helpful for me in the inner world of how to navigate all the stuff that was showing up for me internally this year. So I guess my books really reflect the three domains of life here of how to how to be, you know, an activist while also taking care of my family and then how to take care of myself in the process. So Debbie, speaking of books, 2021 is out out in front of us. If if you had a blank page that represented 2021, what would you want to draw on it? Okay, so that's a good question because I think right now I'm just aware of how much we can't predict the future. I think had a, I, we none of us had any clue what 2020 would be around New Year's of last year. And so I say all of this just with this attitude of we'll see what happens. I think I want to just stay the course and be patient around things getting back to normal with the pandemic. That's just what comes to mind for me is that it's going to be, I think, a process and just kind of see what happens and be flexible. Um, and then just as things start to reopen and get back to quote, I'm doing air quotes, quote, normal, <laughs> whatever that's going to look like moving forward is to just continue to be intentional around choices about um, how I re-engage and deciding what that's going to look like. Because I actually think that for many of us, this pandemic experience of 2020 has opened our eyes and changed a lot of things. I thought you were going to say palm trees and a book <laughs> and your <two laughs> travels around the world. Palm trees would be great. Yes, I'm I think I'm just trying not to um, jump to that too quickly. Right, you know, exactly. I'm like, I'm so excited to travel again, actually. But I'm also like, I'm not sure when that's going to happen. And that's where I think the flexibility comes in as I think I'm like dying to go book some plane tickets, but I'm also saying, hold patience. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Patience. Yeah. Patience. Diana, how would you like to be more psychologically flexible in 2021? Well, 2020 taught me how psychologically inflexible I am in so many ways. Nooks and crannies I didn't even know about. It's like going to a new yoga class and you had no idea that that part of you could hurt. But I um, I think that for me, it's the same message from 2020 that is carrying into 2021, which is how to uh, tolerate undoneness and unfinished and uh, imperfection and messiness And remember when, you know, if you think about psychological flexibility is how to pursue what you value in the face of discomfort. So when this discomfort of that shows up for me, how to orient towards people more. And my my tendency is to go uh, more kind of inward. That's more comfortable for me. But what I found this year is that one of my real values is, is people and being with people that I love. And that requires putting intention around letting this be a mess and still calling my friend or letting this be a mess and saying yes when my mom asked me to just chat. And that's hard for me. So I want to be more psychologically flexible and tolerating the messiness of life in orienting to being with people. I had this mentor once who, when she, I remember it so well, she came to me when I had a newborn and her kids were grown, they were in college. And she said to me, the one piece of advice that she would give me is don't spend so much time cleaning the house because her house now is immaculate, it's perfect, it's clean. And what she misses was the sound of her children in the house. So I want a little bit more mess and a little more intentional time with people. I love that because this house has been such a mess, especially with everyone home so much. I'm like, it's good to hear that because yeah, maybe I've pretty much made peace with that at this point, but it's good to remember that that's not what matters. You're better at that. Yes. It's hard for me to have a dish in the sink. So I'm working at it. Yeah. Okay, Debbie, here's our big question for the both of us. I can't believe we did it. 2020. What is something that you completed in 2020? Okay, well, let's answer this one together because pre-pandemic, we decided to write a book together and we have a book that is coming out in May, and we did a majority of the work on it, well, almost all the work on it in 2020. And so we're, I think, both feeling basking in the glow of having done something hard and important. So we are going to announce the name of our book, which is Act Daily Journal How to Get Unstuck and Live Fully with Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And it's a real practical, hands on tool that you can use in your daily life to build more psychological flexibility, whether you are a professional that wants to do it for yourself or you're someone that wants to learn how to use ACT in your parenting, in your work with yourself. Yeah, it's coming out May 1st. You can pre-order it and you'll be hearing more about it on the podcast before the release. But I think for the two of us to have written the book, especially this past year, um, feels really like an accomplishment. Yeah. Open the book with compassion, intentional use of time and self-care. And that's one of the things that Debbie and I wanted to bring to you today with this episode. Yeah, I think there's a reason we wrote about that in our book. We have this episode today. We've done episodes in the past on intentional use of time because I think that this is something that we both grapple with in our lives. And part of the reason for that is because there's almost this addictive quality sometimes of being busy and accomplishing things. Like it feels really good. I think we're in this overwork culture with constant technology. And we all have a lot of stressful roles like work or school or parenting, et cetera. And I think it can be really hard sometimes to slow down and be more deliberate in choosing how to spend time. There's this article I still think about a lot. It came out 10 years ago by the author, Anne Lamott, who I love some of her work. Um, And she has this article, we'll link to it on the show notes for today episodes, just about how hard it is sometimes to carve out something that's really important to you when there's this nonstop, just spin whirlwind of multitasking and tasks and things to do. She's writing specifically about finding time to write, but I think it's really applies to anything in your life that you think is important, but that gets shortchanged because of the busyness. And I think, um, you know, it takes work. It's hard. Sometimes you really have to fight for it to make it happen. You have to say no to some things and there can be some absolute consequences to that. Um, But I think in the new year, it's something that I think is important to reflect on. 
I think for what I'm hearing in my practice is sort of both sides. We have both people that feel bogged down and overwhelmed and not enough time. And then also people that have a lot of time and, but don't feel like they have a lot of time because it doesn't feel like they're using it in a way that um, is satisfying. And I think what, you know, Anne Lamott in some ways talks about time as the static thing. Like we need to take out half an hour of quiet time every day or we'll lose it. But, but Another aspect of time is that we can have time, but we can get lost in self-critical thoughts or we can get distracted by worries or to-dos. And what the research shows on time is that actually it's our attention that makes a big difference in how we perceive time. So for example, it can seem like forever now when you're at the pharmacy waiting for your prescription or you're waiting in line for something, or it can feel like no time at all when you're trying to get something together, uh, like for me, get some work done before my kids uh, need me. And really this poverty of time is, I think, in part, both, yes, not having a not, of, not enough of time, but also about our relationship with time. In the episode with Dr. Rakeshafen, he talks about this concept of time shifting, and he writes more about in his book. And what I really liked about his book is he goes through these six categories of ways to shift your perception of time. One is being in the moment. We talk about that a lot, but really that does help things slow down. Another is creating time boundaries. And I think that's something that we could all use a bit of. We don't have a lot of boundaries, the same kind of normal boundaries around our time that we used to have pre-pandemic. So carving out, you know, like the day is done journaling exercise I talked about with with, um, Rafael Paleo around sleep, but also honoring the mundane. And that's something Debbie and I read this book, Slow Together, where Brooke met in the gallery. And that's what she talks a lot about, of the simplicity and mundane and appreciating the mundane, as well as creating spontaneous time. I'm hearing a lot of people missing fun and because there's not a lot of spontaneity because we're doing the same thing every day. So balancing both the mundane with also spontaneity, doing what you like to do and creating mini time retreats, which Dr. Reich Schaefen talks about as well. I think it's really interesting how the pandemic has changed our sense of time. And I happened to hear a segment on NPR one day about this. And then I started looking into it a little bit more. And even before the pandemic, there was all this really interesting research about time perception and how we perceive the passage of time. Like you just mentioned, sometimes it feels like it's speeding by and other times it just feels very slow. Like if you're in a car accident or something really stressful like that, or face something where you're waiting, like uncertainty really evokes this. So of course, in the pandemic, we've had all these like really new different experiences. We've had this anxiety and uncertainty. And in some ways, for me, it feels like an eternity since it started. And I think a lot of people are just feeling like this sense that time has really slowed down and others, it's like a blur. It's like, what just happened in the last nine months? And so it's very interesting. And that people have started to even take a look at this. And I think one thing that's happening is missing some of those just regular time landmarks and just realizing the extent to which our lives were so scheduled before. We just had so many activities throughout the day that, and, you know, coming and going that that has really changed. And it's really, uh, people have sort of have this blank page where time becomes much more open and loose. We can link to some of these studies as well, because I think it's sort of a fascinating line of psychology research I didn't even know anything about prior to this. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Seasons can be a real marker of our time. And living here in Santa Barbara, where we don't have seasons. That's really just thrown everything else for a loop because I don't have the normal, okay, we're doing the holiday sing, that means things are coming to a close for for a year, but it's also 70 degrees out. So I have no sense. There'll be days when I walk out and I have no sense if I'm in June or I'm in uh, November. And I think those markers are so important and I think we can put them in. I've even just noticed this past couple weeks of starting to do more of the holiday stuff that it's bringing back these memories of, oh yeah, this is what this time of year is about. We do hot chocolate almost every single night. I need to make sure I have enough marshmallows. These rituals and routines that 
we're realizing, I think a lot of people actually do find comforting. There was a part of me that wanted just to like throw it all away and not do it this year. And now there's this whole part of me that wants to bring it back and say, let's do it because it's got something that we can hold on to. So I, I think in the new year, as, as you're thinking about your own relationship with time, and this is what Dr. Reichstein talks about as well, is he talks about time shifting as these gears. Where is it important for you to shift into a slower gear to bring more intention to the moment so that you can really let it slow down. And, and that, that that is part of our satisfaction with life is eat the chocolate cake slowly, right? Because that's, that's the enjoyment of, of life. And then also there's times to slow down because it is a, is a moment in time where all of you needs to show up. There's an important moment here that you don't want to speed through. You know, I think in addition to reflecting on this and taking a look at Diana's wonderful New Year's questions. It's a nice time also to look back and think about what you've learned in 2020. There's an interview I did with Scott Sunnensheen, who's an organizational psychologist, and he wrote the book Stretch. It's coming out at the end of January, so a little little plug for that episode because he's he was really interesting. Um, but he recommended taking some time now as the pandemic. It's almost like the beginning of the end to reflect back on what the pandemic has taught you. And there are some hard-earned lessons in there. I know there's a lot of suffering and it's been really hard, but I think that we will forget some of what we're learning right now. And I think it's a really important time to reflect back on 2020. Here's the crazy part. I've had a number of clients say to me, there's a part of me that doesn't want it to end. There's parts of this that I really, really, really like, and I'm kind of afraid for it to end, which it's not the pandemic. It's, it's what's been, it's, it's about the new things that have been created here. And I do think it's important for us to reflect on some of those new things that we can carry forward, whether it's a pandemic or not. And that is, this is the time to reflect. So yeah, go through, go through some of those questions. Maybe it takes some time to read, but also just take a walk. Enjoy some time in whatever way is meaningful to you. So happy holidays from all of us at Psychologists Off the Clock. We're thinking about you. Thank you for supporting this podcast. And we wish you meaningful 2020. One. Dr. Stefan Rechtschaffen is author of Time Shifting and is co-founder of the Omega Institute and creator and director and visionary of Blue Spirit Costa Rica in Nosara. For decades, he's been involved in developing communities that model sustainable and spiritual dimensions of living, a more wholesome and authentic lifestyle. He has served and currently serves as a consultant or board member to many organizations that promote this type of work, including Upaya Zen Center, the Center for Discovery, and GeoFund. Stefan is also a widely recognized holistic physician who lectures on health, wellness, nutrition, longevity, and time. He is co-author of Vitality and Wellness and author of Time Shifting, a book that focuses on one's relationship to time and stress amidst the quickening pace of modern life. These interests have drawn him to living and working in the more mindful and slower paced environment of Blue Spirit Costa Rica, which is where I met him last February, right before this whole COVID event <laughs> shut us down and prevents me to come see you again i've been here ever since <laughs> yes so are you unable to come into the united states at this point or what what is your status well, there? as a u.s citizen i can certainly come into the united states it's just a, a choice to be here at this point and and taking this opportunity to actually not travel i feel it very safe here costa rica has had a very conscious approach to this where People trust the government, so for the most part, and so people have listened and been, uh, while there is COVID, uh, there's been a lot of social distancing and uh, people really taking care of themselves. And so for me, this was the best place to essentially quarantine ourselves, but life feels pretty pretty normal here. It's a wonderful place to quarantine. I actually came to Costa Rica as a means of taking care of myself, and you mentioned that is really at the foundation of also why you created the space and the the center. And I'm curious if we can start with uh, maybe your journey from Omega to Nosara and how that's developed over time. Sure. Well, I'll take it back a little further as as a physician. Actually, at the very end of medical school, I had the opportunity of one of the professors came to me and said, do you want to go abroad and do some medical work abroad? 
And my and she said, where would you like to go? I can get you a grant. And I immediately decided India. And that was back in the early 70s. And I worked in a hospital up in uh, first range of the Himalayas, about 8,000 feet up. And, and there uh, it was certainly life-changing for me. The hospital had many Tibetan mamas we were taking care of. Um, I had the opportunity to then study with a a very special being who had a person who was a professor previously in his life, and he um, he worked with Mahatma Gandhi very closely and went to prison, and during his time in prison became a renunciate. And uh, I spent a lot of time with him. And both the experience of India and the experience of spending time with him really changed my life. And made it clear to me, perhaps that's why I went there to begin with, that unless one recognizes the inner dimensions of life along with one's outer goals, there's something that's always going to be lacking. And one can see it in the world right now where there are people making billions of dollars while others have very little, but somehow the people with billion dollars don't seem that much happier. They're still striving for more and more and more. And as a result of that, it, it led me to a life that's been very involved with meditation, with different forms of spiritual practice, but also living in the world and trying to find ways to bring this into uh, our very advanced, what seemingly advanced culture, but it's advanced on the outer level, not necessarily on the inner level. There are cultures that have been far more advanced in terms of the inner technologies. You wrote Time Shifting a number of years ago, and the book is very much about slowing down and about the busyness of life and about the fact that the more efficient we've become, the actually more behind we feel. And you wrote in the book some statements like people come to you and express this type of time poverty of I'm under constant pressure, life is zooming by and I'm missing it, whatever I'm doing, I feel like I should be doing something else. And I think even at the time of COVID, we even have found in the beginning when COVID hit here, at least for me in the United States, there was a shutting down and a slowing down that lasted briefly. And now we are just as busy as ever, but we're busy in our, in our homes. We're not busy out doing our errands. We're busy on our devices. And um, so I'm wondering if we can, we can talk a little bit about time shifting and what is time shifting and how you've done it in your life and how you've created a space to foster that at Blue Spirit? When I wrote time shifting, and the, the way I, the reason I called it time shifting is that it's a particular skill that I think would be very useful for people to be learning more of. And the way you can get a sense of it, it's like riding a, a 10 speed bicycle or a 20 speed bicycle and learning to shift gears. And what happens is if you're riding up a steep hill, you want to shift into a lower gear. When you're riding, you ride just sort of normal and, you know, downhill, it's a different gear. So learning to shift gears depends on the terrain, depends on the amount of output. Because if, if you're in the wrong gear, what's happening is it's not working. You're not doing it efficiently. And it's not, I won't even use the word, I use the word efficiently, but I'd say more importantly is effectively. And what I find that happens, and you know, I wrote this book almost 25 years ago, and that was before we have all, all of our gadgets. Yeah, you talk about boom boxes in there and watches. <laughs> even faster and faster speed all the yeah. time. So that now we live in a very different world where everything is, we've moved from the flow of time to, as, as um, one philosopher had said, you can tell the internal rhythm of any society by listening to its music. Everything, the beat is very fast. We respond to that beat. And the beat becomes addictive. So for many of us, Going fast is the mode where we get things done. Everything is just... And the problem with that is it's very good for production. Production is moving ever and ever faster. The problem is that then one comes to have a conversation with someone 
And it's like, come on, tell me what's going on. What's happening? So we keep doing that. And as a result, we don't drop into the deeper part of who we are. And that part of who we are isn't just happening in the mind. Computers are like the mind. They go very fast. Feelings, however, don't go that way. You can have a thought, a thought, a thought, a thought. But you can't go happy, sad, joyous, upset. We don't flip in and out of that. So what tends to happen is most of us are keeping shut down our feelings all the time until they can't be shut down and they burst open. And what bursts open usually is our anger, our upset, our upset with our partner, our upset what's going on in, in, the, in the world around us. When I look at the degree of discord that is happening, the widening gulf of no conversation happening between people, a lot of this has to do with this bombardment of fast-paced information so that we don't feel embodied. This causes disease of society, breakdowns of marriage, breakdowns of relationship. Yes. I, I appreciate how you talk about entrainment in the book in terms of our speed. And I notice that even in my practice, if a client comes in and they're speaking at a certain speed and then I'm speaking at a speed and then we're we're off to the races and that how important it is. I mean, I think in a, in a therapy practice would be to slow down and pause and put those intentional awareness moments in place to bring ourselves into our body, into the moment. And that is not happening. I mean, that rarely even happens in therapy, much less out in, in the world. And we're doing it with our children. I noticed that in my own life with the devices and the, we constantly coming up with a new mechanism of communication. So it's, we have email and then we have texting and then we have Slack and then we have this new app and this, and there's always new things that are being evolved to try and make us more efficient. But what we're be- becoming is just more disconnected. And I, it's causing, as you said, problems in our, our connection with each other, but our connection to nature, connection to the environment around us. Can you speak a bit about how you've practiced time shifting there at Blue Spirit and in your own life? Well, it, and, and it's not, I, I don't want to say that being here means that I don't get caught up in what's going on in the news and the effect of being on the computer and so on. I, I noticed the number of times I check my email during the day. I don't have that many applications that I use. It's one of the advantages that I I decided not to be on Facebook, not to be on Twitter, not to be on those things. But I still certainly communicate through through these devices. But what I what I find is that one needs to have the time and to to either self-regulate, co-regulate. And so for me, meditation's been something really important. Now, one can do a variety of different things. I don't want to say to people, you have to meditate. I think it would be a good idea. But I think that there are many different things. Taking a walk in nature is really helpful because nature isn't bombarding us like this. You look at a tree, you put your back to a tree and you sit there. And you can. the tree has not moved its entire life from that spot. And yet it feels deeply content to me. And when I say it feels to people, what do trees feel? Well, I have a feeling that trees feel a lot that we don't know. They have a whole underground system of community, of connection, of knowing how to deal with that which starts to attack them in terms of virus and bacteria and fungus and so on. So there's a lot of deep, knowledge that's there. Now, it doesn't communicate in the same way as we communicate with our mouths, but there are plenty of studies showing that the way animals communicate, the way trees communicate, and so on. So, uh, and, and in a way, what's under the ground of trees is a neural network, much, very similar in many ways to the internet network or to our brain network. So, life creates those kinds of networks. And one can 
So one can learn from that. So one of the things that I feel is, do we take out a time during our day where we just notice our breathing? And I think we can learn a lot of that from nature. I remember a talk that I went to with you about trees and longevity and how you're using trees to inform your understanding of longevity. Can you speak to that? Well, well, I, th- I think one of the problems with longevity, which is interesting, is that we see we live here in what's called the blue zone. There are five blue zones in the world where people tend to live over 100 years old. Now, I should say that I don't feel the people living in this blue zone right now will necessarily be the one. It's their parents, great pa- grandparents and great-great-grandparents who lived a rather more simple life in nature. But the modern people here, when I go into the local grocery stores, they're eating the same kind of stuff that the industrial world is producing, which is not healthy for us. So I'm concerned about that kind of future. So if one needs to be changing, but nonetheless, here we are in what's called the blue zone where there's a tenfold increase of living past a hundred years old. Now, in order to do that, I'm not interested in just the I, the individual living there, because I think that's only going to happen if we really look around the circle of life and how we're treating the animals, how we're treating the vegetation, the climate change issues. So I see somebody recently building a house somewhere, and on where they are, the house is fine, but... Everything below, nobody's paid attention to the way the rain has changed, and I see trees that are being knocked over as a result. So this is happening all over the world. Our forests are diminishing, and I think with that, the amount of oxygen we have is diminishing. The interesting thing is the relationship between oxygen, because you can go without food for a while. You can go many days without food. You can go for a while without water. But try holding your breath and seeing how long you exist without oxygen. So if you don't have oxygen, it's really just a matter of minutes before the body goes. Now, I often say to people, where, and, and where is oxygen being produced on the planet? It's all from our natural environment. It's the trees that are producing oxygen. The tree takes the carbon out of the air. And it brings it from out of the air and it gives back oxygen. But the carbon is building from above. Trees grow as much from above as anything they get from below. And they're giving out oxygen. Humans, animals rely on that relationship. And if we destroy the amount of trees that exist so that they can't take the carbon away from the oxygen, we will not have enough oxygen to breathe. We will have too much carbon dioxide and it will warm the the environment as it's happening. We need to learn from the natural environment to be in sync with the natural environment. So when people come here, what I really love is how people settle into a more relaxed kind of environment. They feel a down-regulating of their hyper system. We don't have televisions in the room. We do have internet. My first plan was to turn the internet off at night, but I realized that first of all, people would just go crazy. And secondly, here it's not always so stable. So I I, sometimes when something stops working, I don't know if I'm going to turn it on again. So so we have our internet working, so we, we keep that going. But when you walk along the beach, And this is where nature's rhythm, going back to time shifting, you walk along the beach. It's very different what you feel when you go into the subway where I grew up in New York City. Everything's, you walk out of the subway, you're you're going on this rhythm. When you walk along the beach, you're in this rhythm. I'm not saying all the time, that's the time shifting. If we can learn how to be in a more natural rhythm some of the time, when we're with our children, when we're walking in nature. That's where life changes for us. So it's, a, it's existing and learning the skills of being 
focus. Sometimes focus should be slow. Sometimes we need to be in fast focus. But learning how to go back and forth of that, to me, is one of the greatest skills that we can develop in life, to live a happy life. What you're talking about, and very much is how nature is, is, is the rhythms. Whether it's the circadian rhythm of our own body, the rhythm of a season, the rhythm of uh, your own household. When is the rhythm slower? When is it faster? And because we're so locked in to one rhythm, which is very fast right now, especially in the U.S., we miss out on the natural slowdowns that happen. And it's fascinating to just pay attention to the rhythm of our, our household, homeschooling kids, when we naturally feel more energy and we want to do focused work. And then we have this feeling of let's go outside and we all feel it like we need to we need to just go outside for a little bit and not do anything with our heads. And then we can come back in and we settle down and we have rhythm of let's just lie on the floor and read and listen to stories. So it it's it is very much, I think, our pace as humans. Humans are animals. Humans are part of nature. But sometimes it takes going into nature or maybe removing some of the speed to, to find that rhythm. We can use certain devices. For instance, many cultures say grace before a meal. So what's the purpose of saying grace? Because in the West, I certainly, when I was uh, working in uh, hospital or something like that in my earlier days, when you had a lunch break, it was like, how fast can I eat it while I'm still working? I remember having the thought that in, in my medical office where lunch would come, right afterwards you could ask me, what, I almost forgot what I had eaten because while I was eating, I was writing on the charts. And if I could have had my lunch as an IV, that would have been fine because I didn't have the time for lunch. What I feel saying grace does, now grace can be either a prayer or grace can be just a moment of silence or just listening to some music that slows us down, anything that allows us to recognize I'm shifting from work and now I'm in a moment where I'm going to eat and I don't want to be eating at the same pace as I was working. I need a break. See, the heart is really interesting that way. The heart beats on average 60 beats a minute. You could say that the heart is working all the time, but the reality is the heart contracts for a tenth of a second, and then it relaxes for nine-tenths of a second. And it contracts, and then it relaxes. So we act as though, many of us in the West, as though we're always in a state of contraction. The heart's always in contraction. That's a... It's called ventricular fibrillation, which is not consistent with life. We die faster. And I remember, as I talk about the heart, I remember when my early days I, in, in the States after I became a doctor, I worked part-time in, at night in, in emergency rooms to help pay for my medical practice during the day that was just starting up. And I remember a politician coming in and I took care of him. He had a heart attack. And I admitted him to the intensive care unit. And so a couple of nights later, I'm in the hospital again. And I asked, went to see him. And they said he had checked out against medical advice. And then another week later, I'm there. And he comes in again, now with his second heart attack in two weeks. And I remember saying to him as he's in the emergency room, I said, why didn't you stay in the hospital? And his response to me was, I was just too busy. I didn't have the time. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how much does life have to hurt before we start to recognize? And some people have even walled off the hurt. We just close it. We just close it off and just soldier on. And that's really where I know the work that you do. That's the unless we're addressing what's going on on the inner, we're walling ourselves off. And that to me is, though we have so many people living in cities close together, people are walled off from each other. And we have to find a way to change that. We have to find a way where there's more openness in life 
to everyone else. It's not just a walled off sense of I. When I talk about the body and I say there are 30 trillion cells in the human body, there are actually more than that because our microbiome has a lot more. But, but 30 trillion cells, and, if I, and yet we, we say the word I, and I want to know which cell is I. Because if somehow we lose our arm, we still feel like I is still here. We've had a number of guests on the show that we've been inspired by and that are offering you, our listeners, discounts on their programs. If you go to our website, offtheclockpsych.com, you'll be able to find coupon codes for the programs of Dr. Judson Brewer, Dr. Rick Hansen, and Jen Lumenland. So go check it out at offtheclockpsych.com and start learning today. I have a part of my um, meditation morning practice is, is doing Wim Hof breathing. And so I do a sustained hold and in, um, in my or sustained exhale. And when I do my sustained exhale, one of the visualizations that I do is, is remembering waking up in blue spirit and walking down the steps to walk out to the beach. And then I imagine myself swimming out to the ocean. And then I imagine myself walking back up and then coming all the way back up to get a cup of coffee. Oh, that's great. And it, depending on how long I can hold this breath for <laughs> is how long I get to go into that visualization. So it's quite reinforcing for me to hold it longer because I get to stay there longer. I've been to a number of different places um, that have changed me in, in important ways. And Blue Spirit is one of those. And I, and I take it with me. And I'm so grateful that I had an opportunity at the moment in time that I did before everything went on pause. I hope that others will find, whether it's going to Blue Spirit or going into nature somewhere closer to them, that they will find their own retreats during this time. It's important to do that. We can retreat daily. We can retreat on a weekly basis. We can retreat on a monthly basis. But that's the slowing down and coming back home and attunement that we need, especially right now. Yeah, very well said. You know, one of the things is that because of all of our digital life, things are getting much, much more efficient. You can do things in a quicker fashion than ever before, but it seems the amount of work that we have, as opposed to these efficiency things, we have less time, not more. So what's, it, what's going on with this equation? The reality is we could all be living on this planet with enough to have a reasonable life and actually have some time. And I, I think certainly with my time shifting, I, I, I speak about there are these different ways. There's in the moment, just taking a few breaths before you eat. Then there's having a regular daily practice that allows one to settle. But also what's really, you know, the, the word vacation comes from the Greek the kare, which means it's like vacuum, empty. So a vacation, too many people go to vacation and get busy. The idea of vacation is to really empty, to really empty oneself out so that one can be taken in again. There's a prof- old story, Zen story where a professor comes to visit a Zen master to find out about his wisdom, and the Zen master has him sit in. Then master's pouring some tea for him. And he keeps pouring and keeps pouring, and then it, the tea starts to overflow beyond the cup into the saucer and so on. And the, the professor says to him, can't you see that you're, the cup is overflowing? And he said, and the Zen master says, well, you come for wisdom, but you have to empty your mind first. Otherwise, it's just overflowing. We live in an overflowing state of information so much information that it's on every angle, but we're not really in. So I, I see Blue Spirit as an opportunity for people to come and have that kind of t- slow down of time where they can empty. I'm, I'm more and more interested in living that's really directed and guided by our values, as opposed to living that's directed and guided by money or guided by striving or guided by wanting to be a somebody. And I'm curious, what does it look like for you to be guided by your values in your daily living? 
I, I, I talk about this with many of my friends. The question became, am I going to live at a certain point? Am I going to live what really moves me and trust it? It's, I, I, I went through a point in my life where I went bankrupt. It was a great lesson. You, less, you learn more from you learn more from your downs than you do from your ups. Yeah. Um, it's not as though the path has been an easy path, but I don't regret it. I've been divorced. I've been. I've had hardships in life, so it's not as though life was always easy. But Damien Brinkley he said, "Life is like being on a trapeze." And it's like you're on the swing, and at a certain point, you need to let go and trust that there's another swing there. And if you don't, you keep going back and forth, and the harder it is to do it. But when I gave up my decision to stop having a medical practice, so many people thought I was crazy. You did all this to become a doctor. And now you have this great, secure job, and you're going to give that up. And in a way, I never really gave it up. I just gave up that, the way that that was. I felt like I was being a doctor to a larger group of people. But it was a new path, and did I know it was going to work? Absolutely not. In my first years of, of running Omega, I felt like we were throwing a party, and at the end, we'd find out if we could have enough money to do it again because we had no financial support. It was all on the fly. So, and I don't want to make that as though it was just simple or easy. A lot of it was very difficult, but you get to a place where you listen to yourself inside. I think that component of you saying trust, but this other piece of it, important piece of it is the willingness to let go. You know, there's many Buddhist stories about that, of the monkey with the hand stuck in the jar trying to hold up, get the banana out. It's got to let go of it at some point. I hope that our listeners will take all this information and be able to kind of gather it up into some kind of understanding of letting go, of learning from nature, of slowing down, of using our time in ways that are more meaningful of what really matters to us. And, uh, and also taking care of our bodies, taking care of each other, taking care of our planet. So thank you very much. It's wonderful to see you. And I hope that next time I see you, it will be in Costa Rica. Okay, be well. I hope we'll talk before too long. Thank you for listening to Psychologist Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd like to thank our strategic consultant, Michael Harold, and our interns, Katie Rothfelder and Melissa Miller. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources page of our webpage, offtheclockpsych.com.